0: In Jerusalem, A.D. 30, Jesus died on the cross, resurrected on the third day, and then ascended into heaven. Fifty days after Jesus' resurrection, the Holy Spirit fell on the apostles, giving them power, purpose, and a plan. Out of joy, the church was born. Empowered by the Spirit, Peter gave his first sermon, and 3,000 hearts were transformed. Hearing, receiving, and repenting the young church walked in unity and garnered praise. Out of joy, the gospel creates community. Peter and John then continued to spread the gospel through preaching and miracles, and the church grew by 5,000. Yet inside and outside forces threatened the unity of the church, including racial tension, a couple who held back money from the church body, and the Hellenists accusing the Hebrews of neglecting widows. But still, the church continued to multiply. In A.D. 31, Stephen was arrested for performing miracles and speaking truth. Standing before the council, he gave a powerful sermon connecting the Old Testament to Jesus and what he accomplished. Stephen rebuked the people for their hard hearts and refusal to acknowledge Jesus. Enraged, the people stoned Stephen, making him the first Christian martyr. In every day and age, the church faces both persecution and praise. Christians will always be misunderstood, misrepresented, maligned. But we must fight for and pray for unity to flourish within the church. Whether evangelizing to the lost, whether home groups creating new groups, whether campuses becoming autonomous churches, all multiplication comes at a cost. But we continue to move forward. Out of joy, the church multiplies.
1: Good morning. Wow, you guys a great. Worship experience was awesome. I love heaven. However the song goes, I won't sing it for you, but that is just an awesome experience and expression of worship. Thank you, Pastor Glenn, for leading us in communion this morning. Communion is special. I don't want, I don't want us to ever get numb to the sacred things of God. Don't get numb to that. These are holy moments with God. Special times with God. Renee, thank you for sharing your story. We'd love to hear stories of City Church. Amen. Amen. I got a little story just to share with you right up front here. Mike, welcome back. Mike was in Cuba last week, and come on, let's welcome Mike back. He was working on a missions project back there. Bless you, brother. We got a missions team going to uh, Dominica in just a couple of months, and uh, I got back from a little short-term exploration trip to see kind of maybe what we want to be working on in the future. I want to show you a picture of a brand-new friend that I just made this last week. I call him King George. And the reason the orphanage that I went to visit this last week had about 47 children in it. He's been there since he was one years of age. He's 12 years of age now. And the reason that he just stuck out to me is because I was showing him some pictures on my phone, and he looked at this one picture when I was, you know, when I had hair, when my B.C., uh, B.H. days, you know, back when I used to, used to have hair. And uh, he was looking at me, and he goes, and he kind of puts his hand up there, and he goes, well, it's growing back. <laughs> I'm like, man, you're my best friend forever now, man. So I call him King George. That picture there, it's overlooking uh, the, the orphanage is set up in the the Blue Mountains. if You know, and this is actually Blue Mountain Jamaican coffee. is actually grown on the uh, the farm that's there at the orphanage, and these beans were picked last week. These literally were picked. I watched these ladies. They climb. They're like pack mules, man. They just climb up the side of this mountain, and they're picking beans, and then they store them up, and they dried them out and roasted them while we were there. I mean, literally, I got to watch them roast these beans. And uh, so just a real awesome experience. We'll see what the Lord does as we move forward. Uh, this morning, though, this morning we're in a series. I think that's all I need to say about that, right? All right, good. Thank you, Pastor. Pastor of keeps me on track here. I can get lost. I can just start to ramble here. But it was a great experience. Hey, uh, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me this morning to Acts chapter 6. We're in a series entitled The Empowered Church. And last week, last week, we talked about the ministry of Stephen. Now, we are coming to a place in the book of Acts. And actually, after next week, we're going to take a slight break for the Easter season. And uh, we're going to do something a little different. But we're coming into the place in the book of Acts where the church is about ready to make a transition. Everyone say transition. And transitions happen in all of our life. However, this transition impacts all of human history. It doesn't just impact a couple of people in Jerusalem thousands of years ago. The transition that's about ready to take place is the reason that you and I are here today. We talked about Stephen last week, just this man of God, good local church guy, But people recognize there's something different about him. And they appoint him to be a deacon or to be a servant. And we learned last week that everyone is created to be a servant. And God wants all of his people to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to be full of faith, to be full of grace, and to walk and live in wisdom. It's the heart of God. And Stephen exemplified this. And because of that, because of that, God is about to use him in a way that literally would not only change his life, permanently, but also would change our lives today. And because Stephen was a minister, he modeled for us as believers what it is to be ministers today. Therefore, at City Church, we have the slogan that we say, every member a minister. And I want you to say that with me. Every member a minister. Every person here is created by God to be a minister. We all, we all have a purpose and a plan in God. And we'll never be fulfilled until we live out that purpose for which God has created us. This morning, if you have your Bibles, as you turn to Acts chapter 6, thank you. All right. Let's say it one more time. Every member a minister. A little delayed reaction, but I like it anyway. Stand with me this morning as we read our scripture. We're going to start in Acts chapter 6. We're going to read verses 10 through 15, several verses in chapter 7, although I will be speaking to you on the whole text of chapter 7. And then we'll be looking at some of the end verses of chapter 7 and verse chapter uh, number 8. So a lot of text here, but I want you just to follow along. Open your heart, open your spirits, open your mind to hear from God today. I want my words to become God's word. In order for that to happen, you have to open your heart and don't fall asleep on me. All right, verse number 10. But they could not stand against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke, speaking of Stephen. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, We've heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testified. This fellow never stops speaking against this holy place and against the law. For we've heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs of Moses handed down to us. And all who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face was like that face of an angel. Verse number, chapter 7, verse number 1. Then the high priest asked Stephen, Are these charges true? To this he replied, Brothers and fathers, listen to me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham while he was still in Mesopotamia, and before he lived in Haran. Leave your country and your people, God said. Go to the land I will show you. So he left the land of the Chaldeans and settled in Haran. And after the death of his father, God sent him to this land where you were now living. He gave him no inheritance here, not even enough ground to set his foot on. But God promised him that he and his descendants after him would possess the land, even though at that time Abraham had no children. And God spoke to him in this way. For four hundred years, your descendants will be strangers in a country, not their own. But they will be enslaved and mistreated. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, God said. And afterward, they will come out of that country and worship me in this place. Then he gave Abraham the covenant of circumcision. Everyone say covenant. covenant. And Abraham became the father of Isaac and circumcised him eight days after his birth. And later Isaac became the father of Jacob And Jacob became the father of the twelve patriarchs. Because the patriarchs were jealous of Joseph, they sold him as a slave into Egypt. But God was with him. Now I want you to turn to uh, chapter 7, verse number 54. We're going to read just a couple more verses. After Stephen had preached this message, the longest sermon recorded in the book of Acts, over 60 verses long, going through the history of Israel, When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and they gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven and open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And at this they covered their ears, yelling at the top of their voices. They all rushed at him, dragging him out of the city and began to stone him. And meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. And while they were still stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and he cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul approved of their killing him. And on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea And Samaria and godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. My theme this morning is out with the old and in with the new. Out with the old and in with the new. Just like the carpet you're standing on this morning. Old carpet last Sunday, new carpet this Sunday. Come on, amen? Amen. Come on. And we didn't even take a special offering. Thank you for tithing and giving to City Church. We're going to pray this morning. Two weeks from now is Easter Sunday. And you heard the story of Renee. Last week we heard the story of Tiffany and Greg and how God had worked incredibly in their life. Easter is a powerful time because people that will never attend church, they will attend church on an Easter Sunday if they're invited. And the power of resurrection is available every Sunday. But there's something still special in our culture. And so we're going to pray for our Easter services. And then we have an opportunity as a church, as our 16th anniversary, to invest in Togo. We're going to build the tabernacle. We're going to build a church there. And so I'd have you join me as we pray this morning. Father, thank you for the power of your word today. Thank you that it's not my words that move the hearts of men, but it's your words. And I ask today, God, that the story that's been recorded for us will become alive. God, I pray for every person that's in this room. You'll give them a spiritual ear to hear. And God, you'll give them the courage to invite a friend to one of our weekend services coming up on Easter that, that they may hear the glorious story of your resurrection and of your grace. And God, I pray today, Lord, thank you that we can partner with churches around the world. Thank you, Lord, for, for this tabernacle that we're going to be building in Togo and for the lives that we're going to impact as a church there. And God, we love you today. I pray for every person that's in this room that you give them a spiritual ear to hear. And that we will not leave this place the same that we came. Let us not become numb to your presence and the reality of who you are. That, God, you take away old and you replace it with the new. I bless your people today in your wonderful name. Amen. You may be seated. You know, they tell us that two things are inevitable in life, right? Right? Death and death. April 15th is coming up. Don't you love that? The very good news. Two things that are inevitable. Now, it's kind of morbid, but I heard someone once say that the job of every good pastor is to prepare his congregation for death. And the reality today is part of my responsibility is to prepare you to live a life in such a way that when you finish this life, you're going to hear words like this. Well done. I mean, that is part of my responsibility as a minister of the gospel. The man that we are looking at today is a, a minister of Jesus Christ. However, he's just a church man. He's just a good local church man. He went to the temple every time the temple doors were open. As a matter of fact, he went to the temple every single day. He served his local church. He served the body of Christ. And there was something about his life was different. God divinely, God supernaturally put him in a place where he found himself telling the story. Telling the story of the children of Israel. Telling the story of what God was doing in their generation. Now, we've watched over these last several weeks as we started in Acts chapter 1 and talking about Jesus teaching his disciples and instructing them about waiting for power and, and saying, I'm going to send you out. You're going to be witnesses in all the earth. And in Acts chapter 2, how they received the power of the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 3, when, when Jesus healed a, a man, uh, Peter healed a man who was lame. and Acts chapter 4, the things that took place. In Acts chapter 5, and here we are in Acts chapter 6, and the kingdom is just expanding thousands Tens of thousands of Jewish people are coming to faith in their Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. And things are starting to get sticky. Things are starting to get messy in Jerusalem because here's these Jewish people, these Jewish leaders, and they're starting to lose their influence. They're starting to have people not not listen to them anymore. They're starting to listen to these untrained men, these unschooled men by the name of Peter and John and Stephen and these other men who were expounding from the Scriptures who this Messiah was. And they had something behind their words. They had power. They had power that changed human lives. Destinies were being changed. Miracles were happening. Mighty miracles. Healings, deliverances. People were experiencing the reality of Jesus Christ. In verse number 12 of Acts chapter 6, The Bible says that these people, they were hearing this, they were, they got so stirred up that they, that they brought these people before the elders and the teachers of the law. Look at verse number 12. The Bible says they seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. This same Sanhedrin was the same Sanhedrin that Jesus went before. The same Sanhedrin that Peter had to confront. I mean, this is only a couple of months from the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They dragged Stephen before the Sanhedrin in verse number 13. This says they also set up false witnesses who said, This man does not cease to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the law. What were the slanderous accusations they were bringing against him? They were accusing Stephen of blasphemy. In Jewish culture, there were four things that were sacred, extremely sacred. The first thing that was sacred was the name of God. The name of God was so sacred to the Jewish people because the command said, Thou shalt not take the Lord thy God's name in vain, that they would not even speak his name. They wouldn't even say it in fear that they would misuse it. There was great consequences to misusing the name of God. They wouldn't even speak the name of God. And so the name of God was so sacred to that they wouldn't speak it or they wouldn't write it. We have today in our Old Testament translation of the Hebrew with this word Yahweh that they supplement for the name of God. But to this day, we still don't really know that the Hebrew word that they use. The name of God was sacred. The next thing that was sacred to the Jewish people was the temple. I mean, the temple was extremely sacred to them. It was the holy place. This temple was built and fashioned after a design that God had given to Moses that had been a tabernacle or a tent that was now turned to this incredible Ephesus that Herod had built to be one of the wonders of the world. But the temple was sacred to them because it was at the temple that they practiced their religiosity. It was at the temple that they were religious and they offered their sacrifices to God. And so the temple was sacred to them. But not only was the temple sacred to them, the city of Jerusalem itself, the Holy Land was sacred. It was so sacred. Their identity was completely wrapped up in this sacredness of this place. Find it interesting today, 2,000 years later, the sacredness of this place. It's still sacred. It's still a, a very complex issue today as we see geopolitically all these meetings going on even today with our president and, and our secretary of state and world leaders meeting and talking with Iran who has one intention to wipe Israel off the face of the map. And there's all these discussions and they're centered geopolitically around this place called Israel or Jerusalem very fascinating it was sacred to them but not only was the place sacred the words that god spoke to moses were sacred they were so sacred as a matter of fact that they believed the very shape of the letter was sacred when jesus was walking on planet earth he said not one jot or tittle do you remember that not one jot or tittle would be abolished every word of god is flawless every word of god is perfect even down To the very shape of the letter. They saw this as being sacred. Now this is, you know, to us, we're like, oh, what does that mean? But to the Jewish people, it was extremely, extremely sacred. As a matter of fact, what I come to realize is that it's important to us today, although we don't understand it. The reality today for us is that people who identify with God will be misunderstood. Stephen was a man who identified himself with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but he was misunderstood. You will be misunderstood. And when we look at this text, I want you to know, you know, the reality today for you and the reality for me, that there are some people that did some pretty amazing things, uh, like accused people, like Jesus, who only did good. Accused Jesus of blasphemy against the temple, because Jesus said, in three days, this temple will be destroyed, and on the third day, it will be rebuilt. Speaking of his own physical temple, his body. And it was so it was so powerful, it was so influential what was taking place here that Stephen was willing to die for it. The things that he said he was willing to give his life, and the sanhedrin the sanhedrin they were willing to stone this man because of it. I mean those are some pretty strong emotions it 's hard for us because you know we don 't we don 't have the same kind of You know, understanding, you know, we can burn the Bible and no one's going to do anything to us in our culture. People take God's name around you in vain all the time. Sometimes you even do it yourself, which I would encourage if you're a believer, please don't do that. It's blaspheming. Don't take the name of God in vain. His name is holy. His name is revered. His name is sacred. He's our Savior and our God. But the fact is that their identity was wrapped up in this. So when we look at the, when we look at what was taking place here as followers of Jesus, you will be misunderstood. You will be falsely accused. Our culture today, there's a, there's a huge debate going on in our culture about this issue of marriage and what Christians really believe. And and I'm amazed at the kinds of things, the accusations and the, the slander that's been brought against Christians who, who are just believing what God said in the very beginning, that God created Adam and Eve to come together to be one. That we believe that was the intent and the design for God from the very beginning of time to have a man and woman who would represent his image in the world. And we see in our culture today where we've been misaligned, called hateful and called mean-spirited because we believe that there's a thing actually called sin. There was a Hebrew professor at Harvard years ago who wrote a book entitled, Whatever Happened to Sin? And there's nothing sin in our culture today. It's either a disease or a lifestyle choice or behavior. But there are things that the Bible clearly calls sin. And it's not, it's not hatred. It's a matter of fact, it's the greater expression of love to tell people that there's a wonderful plan for their life. And that's not it. God has a better way. God's designed us. God's created us in his image for fullness and for abundance and blessing. And so we live in a culture where even today as Christians, we are falsely accused The second thing that I I see why this text is so important to us this morning is because it is so easy. It is so easy as followers of Jesus to allow idolatry of worship in our heart. It's so easy to worship the form rather than the person. Guys, you've experienced, you've come into a church service and you're just doing what you've done for many years, many times. You take communion without really thinking about the significance of what Jesus did for you at the cross. You've done it. I've done it. Come on, we've come into a church experience where we're worshiping God and we're singing and people around you are being blessed and you're thinking about what you have to do after you leave church today to, to buy some groceries or get ready for school tomorrow or prepare for your next day of work. It happens to all of us. And what happens to me is that I start to function on form rather than my expression of true worship in spirit and in truth. And it's a challenge. And it's exactly what happened to the Jewish people. They had worshipped the tradition. They had worshipped the form. They had worshipped the building. But they truly weren't worshipping their creator, God. And Stephen is not the blasphemer. As a matter of fact, I don't want you to feel sorry for Stephen a bit. What we're going to see as we go through the story, is Stephen begins to expose to them their idolatrous heart. And he first starts with a person by the name of Abram. He talks about Abraham. He, he, he talks about this man of promise. In chapter, in verse number 2 of chapter 7, the Bible says, He said to them, Brothers and fathers, listen, the God of glory appeared to our father Abraham. This thing wasn't just about a person. It was also Geographical. It was also this experience that the children of Israel had as God took this man, Abram, who grew up with a father who was an idol maker, who didn't know God. God came to him. God called him. God said to him, Abraham, you will be the father of promise. He called it a covenant, a relationship with the patriarchs that God established that would give a people a new identity, a new kind of people, a people that would truly experience God for faith. And as we look at the life of Abram, I'm, I'm amazed. I, I look at this, this calling of Abram, how similar it is to you and I. How that God had called Abram out of a land of darkness, out of, out of a land of pagan worship, and out of this false ideology that we are the center of the world. God called him out of that and expressed himself and showed himself in love. And the Bible says that all those who are children of God are what? Are the children of Abraham. That Abraham was the father of all faith because he believed God and followed God when no one else in his generation would. The call of God. The foundation for human history is laid right here with Abram. Abram lays because up to this point, people had rejected God, living for themselves. God had destroyed the world with water one time because men weren't living according to his purpose. God is laying the foundation for all of human history through this man, Abram. And God is speaking, and God is using Stephen to show them. See, Stephen wants to make it clear that God appeared to Abram and guided and guarded and blessed him, and there was no temple. See, this temple was so sacred to the Jewish people, but it was just a building. It was fashioned and made with the hands of men. God didn't meet Abraham in a temple. God met Abraham right where he was at. The fact is, today, you don't need to be in a building to meet God. The reality for you today and for me today is that God, God will meet us any place that we are at. God will meet us in our bedroom. God will meet us in our automobile. Come on, God will meet us in our workplace. God will meet you any place that you are at. Someone give him praise. It's never been about the building. It's never been about that. It's not the building that's sacred. It's this building. And then he talks about this man by the name of Joseph. This Joseph, this 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 favored son of Jacob, this favored son that uh that Jacob had Israel had showed favor to that that because of that his brothers disdained him, and they were full of jealousy. Do you find it interesting that the same people that 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 had Jesus prosecuted it and then nailed to a cross, and the same people that had Stephen prosecuted and stoned to death? The Bible describes their actions as being full of jealousy. Why were they full of jealousy? Because God's favor was upon his life. God's favor was on Joseph's life. God's favor was on Stephen's life. Because everywhere they went, people recognized something different about them. They were full of faith. They were full of grace. The blessings of God went before them. The blessings of God was evident upon their life and not everybody liked it. If you're here today and you've accepted Christ, you know that experience. Maybe you've gone back to your workplace and you've tried to share with a few people what Christ has done in you. Like, oh, that's cool, cool, but that's for you. You know, that's a religion. I'm not really into that thing. Religion's a crutch. I don't really need that. Or maybe you've gone to your family and they've said something. Yeah, okay. Well, you know what? You just lead that. Don't. We don't want to hear about that. It happens to people all the time. It's happened to me in my life. And Joseph was God's. Chosen person. Joseph was used by God when he was thrown into prison. God said, I'm with you, Joseph. It was an example. Stephen uses Joseph as an example that God is with us. Joseph didn't encounter God in a building. Joseph encountered God in a pit. Joseph encountered God in a prison. And when Joseph finally, because of his spirit, because he was full of faith and full of grace, and the Bible actually said he was full of wisdom, he found prominence and found himself elevated to the second most powerful man in all of Egypt. Joseph knew God. See, God was with Joseph everywhere he went and and everything that he did. He was rejected by his brothers, but he was accepted by God. Just because someone rejects you, you know what that tells me? It means that you're probably being accepted and approved by God. I mean, just because you're living the life and you're serving the Lord, you're going for God. If someone rejects you, just accept it as a sign that God, is a, His approval is upon your life. So God used Joseph as a picture of what Jesus was to them. Jesus was their deliverer. Joseph was the deliverer of, uh, of his family, of the sons of Jacob and the 12 tribes. Joseph was their deliverer. And then he goes into this long dialogue about Moses. He starts with Abraham. He goes to Joseph. And now he starts to talk to us about this man by the name of Moses. Moses, the most revered name in all of Israel. They would accused him of blaspheming the name of Moses and the words that he had spoken, the law. Moses was venerated even to this very day. He's more highly elevated than Abraham. He's more highly revered than David. He's more highly revered than any of the patriarchs. He's the one that encountered God at a burning bush. He's the one that when he went to try to tell his brothers that God had a better way, that that they rejected him. I mean, from his birth, when, when Pharaoh wanted all the male boys killed, his mother led him out there by a river. And the Bible says that Pharaoh's daughter found him. We see the providential hand of God upon Moses. The providential hand of God is upon your life today. You're not here by accident. You're not here by coincidence. I mean, just think if Pharaoh's daughter would have taken a bath two hours later, three hours later. What if, just think if she wouldn't have showed up till the next day. But no, providentially, providentially, by the hand of God, his daughter showed up the day, the day that he was put in the basket probably within just moments of being in that basket. He finds a son. He's raised in the house of Pharaoh where he learns all the wisdom. and He learns how to communicate the ways of the Egyptians. And when he goes to deliver, when he goes to express to his people that God has a better way, they rejected Moses. You see, Moses then encounters God, but he doesn't encounter God in a building. He doesn't encounter God in a building made by the hands of men. He encounters God in a burning bush. And it's at this burning birch that Moses discovers that God is the great I am. And God says to Moses, I want you to take off your shoes for the place that you stand is holy ground. It was holy ground. Holy ground. The fact is today that everywhere that you are is holy. Do you know why? Do you know why? Because holy, God's Holy Spirit lives in you. Paul told the church at Corinthians, it's not a building made by the hands of men that God dwells in. It's your building. You're the building. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. God lives in you today. That's a powerful revelation. You see, Moses was rejected for the things that God approved of. What God approved of, the people didn't. And people naturally are attracted to religion and form, doing good things. There's also a rejection in the hearts of men of expressing and experiencing true worship. True worship of knowing God having a relationship with him. Moses met met God. And the reality for us today, the expression that we see, is that these people had become so in love with their form, they were practicing idolatry. Idolatry is the number one thing that separates from God. And idolatry is so easy to slip into. It's so easy to relegate God to a box. It's so easy to put money it's so easy to put stuff. It's so easy to put entertainment. It's so easy to put so many things in our life in front of a relationship with God. It's so easy. Idolatry captures our heart. Idolatry just creeps in where the things of God just become commonplace. We start to have this form of religion. But there is no power. And that's not the church that Jesus is building. That's not the church that Jesus died for. I'd love to hear stories. So when I hear a story of God changing someone's life, it tells me that his power is still at work in our midst. God's at work in your life today. God's speaking. He's speaking through Stephen. He's challenging them. The Bible goes on to talk about David and Solomon. and God allowed them to build a temple, a place that they could worship him. But really, honestly, folks, God allowed it. The ultimate purpose of God was to build you and to build me. Because Stephen, at this point of his life, communicates this message: what's really sacred to God is that which God's created with His hands, <laughs> not what you created with your hands. God, I did this, and God, I did that, and God, like, wow, wow, good, good. <laughs> We're not God. God created us in His image. God made us and fashioned us to have a relationship with them. And they'd missed it. They'd missed it in the Messiah. They'd missed this revelation. They'd missed it with Abraham. They'd missed it with Joseph. They'd missed it with Moses. They'd missed it with David. They'd missed it with Solomon. They'd missed it with the prophets. Because all these people, all these people, experienced God personally. They had a relationship. And it was never about the place. It was always about the person. The revelation of who God was in their life. And the Bible says they pick up stones In verse number 54 And they stone him The Bible, I was was reading this I was thinking about this experience that they had You know, they're so angry They're so full of bitterness And we see this contrast All throughout this passage The contrast between the religious heart And the heart that's in relationship with God The religious heart is rigid And angry Full of venom And wants to fix everyone else (laughs) But the heart that's a relationship with God wants God to fix them. It's full of grace, full of love, full of truth. (sighs) Bringing people not to a building, but to a relationship. We understand our culture. We understand the generation. This is just a building, folks. It's why we believe that God has another building for us, because buildings aren't sacred to God. It's the people that are sacred to God. Buildings are important. They give us a place that we can gather together. And it's an important part of our Christian experience to worship God with other believers. But it's never about the building. It's about a relationship with him. They stoned. They, they persecuted him. My job today is to prepare you to die well. It's one of my jobs today. Stephen died well. So God was doing a new thing. Because he was taking the old. He was taking the old and said, that's not my plan. That's never been my plan. And he was bringing in the new. He was out with the old and in with the new. The church was scattered. Right here, right at this moment, the church begins to separate. In this time of the church, there were two groups. There were the Hebraic Jews and the Hellenistic Jews. The Hebraic Jews spoke Hebrew and Aramaic. The, the, The Hellenistic Jews spoke Greek. It was at that moment the Hellenistic Jews began to, to leave Jerusalem They begin to leave that place and begin to fulfill the promise that God has spoken to them and you will receive power after that to be my witnesses first in Jerusalem Judea, Samaria and the ends of the earth out with the old, in with the new and then in verse number 2 of chapter 8 it says the brethren buried Stephen and they mourned his loss there was a great sense of loss Something old. I don't know how old he was, but something had died. God was bringing in a new way of life. God was bringing in a new way of living. God was bringing in a new revelation of who he was through his son, Jesus. Out with the old and with the new. You know, God works in seasons. Listen to me. God works in seasons in your life. He works in seasons. And sometimes we get so you know, bound up and we so want to hold on to the past. God is always doing a new thing in your life and in my life. I've recognized this as I've gotten older. Start to look for the seasons. Churches go through seasons. Your life goes through seasons. When my mother passed away in 1995, Kenan had just been born. And I remember we went, I took my boys and my wife and we went down to see my mother one last time before she died. And she was laying in her bed. She couldn't even get out of bed at that point. I remember laying in Kenan in her arms. And we're thinking, wow, it's a new season. Something is dying. Someone is dying. But God's brought someone new in our life. I know the sense of mourning and loss for one of our brothers or sisters. In the faith, someone's close to us dies. Several years ago, one of our brethren, uh, his, his son was on staff with us at the time. He said, hey, my dad is really sick, not doing well. I want to go down and see him. It was a Wednesday been sick for a week or two with the flu and goes into the hospital on Wednesday morning, and by Wednesday night, Dennis Stewart had went home to be with the Lord. I remember that, I, I don't even, the shock, I don't even, Norman's here today, and I, I can't even explain it, Guys, it was just such, the spirit of loss just swept through our church, it was unexplainable. I don't know what God was doing. I really didn't, I and mean, I still to this day don't completely understand, but in that season I had four friends My best friend and mentor in ministry for over 25 years, Jack Gloman, had been diagnosed with Lou Gehrig's disease, and he died that same year. I I had another friend, Aaron Haskins, was supposed to minister here in January of that year, and he, 49 years of age, had a brain aneurysm, and died at 2 o'clock in the morning on Sunday before church. I'm like, God, what is going on? And our pastor, Pastor Wendell Smith, at, at that same time, within that same year, founder of the city church of Seattle he went home to be with the Lord succumbed to a long term battle that he had with bone cancer I don't know completely I don't completely understand why God allows those things and why things like that happen but I know that when something goes out God is bringing in something new and the reality in our life today in your life, in my life there are things that God wants to remove there's some old things that need to go There's some old ways of living that bring death. There's some old mindsets and paradigms and ways of thinking that God wants out of a life. Because God wants to do a new thing. God wants to do something new in your life today. I want you to close your eyes. God's working. God's ministering by His Spirit today. Churches do it. They make monuments of the past. Movements do it. Movements do it. They make monuments of the glory days members of the body of christ they do it it happens to us we look back at the good old days and the reality is the good old days are never going to come back there's a new thing that god is doing in your life when god takes something away it's because god wants to do something new and the new thing that god was doing was that the church was growing the church could not be stopped the gates of hell could not come against it it, it seemed like stephen was a victim to his accusers. But I want you to know that day, Stephen was not a victim. Stephen was a victor. You are not a victim today. You are created by God to be a victor. You're created by God to be full of His Spirit and full of faith and full of grace and full of wisdom. That's what God has for you today. But there's some things that are old. I believe it. I know in my own life, some things that have got to go so that God can bring in the new. I'd be remiss this morning. Not to give an invitation. There's someone in this room. You're holding on to an old way of life. The Bible calls them dead works. Dead ways of living. Just living for yourself. Living for the moment. you got the wrong God in your life. I mean, it can be all kinds of things. Idols can be relationships with people. We can make money a God. We can make drugs, we can make all kinds of things cars, entertainment sports God wants to sit in the center of your heart God wants to take that old thing and he wants to do a new thing he wants to give you life you're here this morning you've never accepted Christ you're still holding on to your old way of life God wants to do something new in you wants to make you a new person inside wants to change your life This morning you're here. You know your life isn't right with Jesus. You haven't accepted Him. You haven't fully surrendered your life to Him. God's calling you to a new way of living. I'm going to pray for you in just a moment. Here's what I want you to do. I'm going to count to three. And this is not a sacred thing that we do. But this this is not just something that we just do. But I believe that this is a moment, an opportunity for you to take your next step in your relationship with God. To experience the newness that He has for you. count to three this morning, you know you're not in the right relationship with God. You know your life is far from Him. When I count to three, I want you to raise your hand. One, two... talk to the Christian just for a moment. Christian, you're here today. you got some old things. you got some old ways of thanking, old ways of living. God's speaking to you today. He said, you know what? That area of life, I want to do a new thing. I want to replace that. I want to give you something better. That hurt in your life, that bitterness in your life, that unforgiveness, I want to fill you full of forgiveness. I want to fill you full of joy. That anger and that frustration. God says, I want to take that way. I don't want to fill you full of faith today. God wants to do something new in your life, Christian. You're here this morning. You just need something new from God. You don't want to be numb any longer to that area of your life. You need a fresh revelation in your life in that area. If that's you this morning. You just raise your hand. Come my Christian across this room. All across this room. I want everyone to stand with me this morning. We're going to pray for those people that raise their hand to receive Christ. You raise your hand this morning. We have a card here. We call it the Connect Card. And on the back of it, there's a place for you to check off. that I've made a decision to follow Christ today. I'd encourage you to fill that out. We're going to pray here this morning. I want everyone to close their eyes. I want everyone to after me. Lord Jesus thank you today that you are taking away the old and you are bringing in the new I accept this revelation that Jesus Christ you are my Lord I believe in you I give you my heart and from this day forward help me to live for you I'm asking today Lord that you take away the old and you fill me with the new new life, new hope, new faith, in your wonderful name. Now, for the Christian, I want you to put your hand in front of you. I want you to take just a moment now to allow God to speak to you. What is God saying to you today? What is God speaking to your life today? He cares for you today? As God was with Abraham, as God was with Joseph, Moses,